Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever or wherever you join our podcast from today. It is a Monday morning, which is what it usually is when I'm recording these podcasts. So I'm armed with both my coffee and a nice glass of water here, um, ready to talk to today's guests and on today's topic. Visual identity is crucial uh, to most events um, and significant sums of money are invested in both um, time uh, time as well uh, and money um, to get these elements right. Um, my guest today has built 17 years worth of experience in event production and visual identity for events um, and says that more event organizers need to be upcycling and renting as an alternative to full bespoke builds to keep costs down as they continue to rise across the industry. I'm delighted to say that joining us from their base in Hyde in Manchester today is the CEO of Visual Architects and fingers crossed that I get this right, it's Lefteris Angelidis. Good morning and welcome to the podcast. Good morning James, thank you very much for having me. Uh, no problem at all. And um, yeah, this is um, it, this is a key subject really here. I was looking at some of your work prior to um, today's podcast, looking at some of the brands that you've worked with. Um, in particular, there was there was one for a, a big project that you worked on for Kendall Calling, which is a festival that a lot of our podcast followers and listeners will be familiar with um, that, that, you know, you worked on a big transformation for them last year but before we sort of dive it specifically maybe into that as a project um let's give people a little bit of a background first of all about yourself and about visual architects so people understand exactly what you guys are doing within the industry and what what you offer to your clients so yeah so basically i'm the ceo i started visual architects visual architects was an offshoot of illuminati so 17 years ago a long time ago <laughs> i started an event called illuminati and at the time we focused a lot on set design on the theatrical element on creating an experience for our audience so that was just an event it was an expensive hobby as my mom used to call it at the time where we used <laughs> to go all out with these experiences when at the time it wasn't really that popular Anyway, about seven years into it, we saw the need because we were growing a team, we were developing this and we wanted to make it more professional. We wanted to do it. We were only doing three events a year. So we wanted to enhance that and do a lot more. So at that point, we thought that, OK, we could start a company that does this for more people, not just for ourselves, because we saw how important it was to offer people experiences. Gone with the days of just having a DJ playing in a black room. You know, people wanted a lot more. People wanted where they were going to feel that they've gone to something different. And the more the market grew, and I don't want to say saturated, but the, as more and more events came about, people were going to spend, they were going to choose where they were going to go. So they wanted to make sure that they're getting something. So that's when we formed Visual Architects to do what we did for Illuminati, to do it for a lot more people. And the good thing is because then Visual Architects became our solid business model, we could enhance. We, we invested into new machinery. We brought on a lot more people because Illuminati was more based on a volunteer, only a few members of staff. But Visual Architects soon grew to become really big and to bring more people and to bring more experienced people, bring people with experience in arts. And we managed to grow the company to what it is today and have such a solid team that can deliver these fully immersive experiences. Mm. And from a visual identity point of view, again, I'm going to use the Kendall Calling as an example because I looked at some of the photos of, of the work that you've done and the portfolio of, of um, I suppose, pieces that you you 
delivered for them and created for them. Um, using that as an example is, is a lot of the sort of the visual identity and what events want to achieve um, driven by social media. And, I, and I'll use things like Instagram now. People have are constantly taking photos now. We live in a real sort of image-driven society, don't we? And is is part of the creation of a visual identity that desire from an event to make sure that when their customers and when their audiences are taking photos, that their brand is seen really clearly in those images. I think Instagram played a vital part in shifting shifting people's mindset that that is needed for events. Um, people already started doing it and they wanted to provide the experience, but Instagram was the catalyst to make everyone feel that, oh, we need our audience to do our marketing. They're all taking pictures. If we have a great set, they're going to take pictures and they will promote it. So in yeah. a way, you're getting free advertising that way. And it's the best advertising if somebody, if your audience is promoting you. So although Instagram was the catalyst to get to this point, I feel now People are not just, it is they want to go there and take their pictures and show them online, but people do also want this feel that they're, they're experiencing something new. And I think we're seeing this as well. This is a different topic, but we can see this. The metaverse is going to take over. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That enhanced emotional mm -hmm. feel. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose one, one of the balances, and, and this is clearly where your, your company and business comes in, is that an event never wants to be stale. And it never wants to just repeat itself. It always wants to be forward thinking and do something different every year. But by the same token, we live in a sustainability driven culture as well now, where it's really, really important that, you know, we are not just throwing away and discarding after one use. So how much are you working with your clients now on that balance between sustainability and the desire from the client to actually evolve and do something different every year? That is another thing that we're seeing at the moment that, eco-friendly and sustainability is becoming a must for event organizers. So I think that's the benefit with us because over the years, over these 17 years, because from Illuminati, we were building sets and we're finding a lot of people are coming to us because they want that. They don't want to somebody make them something bespoke and then after that, they throw it in the bin. Mm. And the good thing with us is because we will make things, but we will utilize them again and again. Then we'll refurbish them. We won't throw them away. We'll repair them. And we're finding a lot of people are coming wanting that. They don't want something bespoke. One, because of the cost as well, if you're making something brand new. But I think secondly, brands are understanding the need and the necessity to play their part mm. in a sustainability, in a sustainable society. Mm. So it's a massive benefit for companies to be able to go somewhere and choose something off the shelf because they know that's kind of them playing their part. And with us, we have so many themes. We've got a full warehouse just full of different themes. So it, it helps us offer that to the clients and they find that very useful. Has it, um, has it shaped um, considerations when it comes to uh, selection of materials, the, the actual technical um, installation, the rigging of certain pieces of, 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 of branding of imagery archways entranceways things like that have you had to rethink maybe how some of those are physically installed and rigged and what materials are used so that you can look at the longevity of that particular item absolutely like for example with some things because we understand that some brands they they want the brand identity so although they want to hire something off the shelf they do want to somehow have their brand in it so what we've kind of done over the last few years is we made elements that you can change slides inside them. You can change 
pieces of the deco to have the logo on. But then instead of binning that or throwing it away after, we will just change the skin of it and just add a new logo on. So mm -hmm. we're making our, our decor a lot more modular. At the same time, we've been looking into how we treat what we create. So, for example, we use a seven-axis robot and we cut polystyrene. There's a lot of excess that when we first got that robot, we thought, okay, we can make loads of beanbags <laughs> because it was producing polystyrene. And we thought, that's a great thing. All the excess, instead of binning it, we'll just make loads of beanbags. We soon realized that wouldn't really work. We actually yeah. did, we, we did do loads of beanbags last year at Kendall, which people just destroyed. But then what we did since, it's a, we got a new machine that would take all the polystyrene and would compact it and would put it back into a piece that we would then sell back to the company that provides us with the polystyrene. So they would make it back into blocks and sell it back to us. So it's mm. kind of that 360 going around, the product comes, we use what we need, we compact what is left over and we send it back. So mm. it's a circle economy there. Yeah, and I suppose that that's no different to what, you know, woodworking companies have done for years, you know, where they generate lots of sawdust, you know, that's all compacted down, isn't it? It's 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 it's, it's mixed and then, you know, you, you come up with maybe, you know, the things like the you know, fiber boards and, you know, cert certain types of, of products that are used, you know, from all, all of that excess. So it, uh, it's really, I suppose, just taking it, you know, using the technology that's available, I guess, to take that recycling process a little bit of a step forward. Absolutely. And we're seeing generally, I think the world is a lot more aware of recycling, of how we need to be more sustainable. So we're seeing technologies constantly advancing and using that for heating. You can use the wood, the excess, you know, there's more and more technology is developing and is making it more available for companies to use so that they can create that circle economy that nothing gets wasted. Mm. Uh, uh, what one other thing I, I, I suppose is critical in in what you do at the moment uh, and what you do as a business is the transport element. Uh, anybody who works in events knows that the, the, the biggest cost to, to any sort of production, uh, uh, certainly at the moment and has been for a long time, is transport. Is getting the things from A to, to B. Um, vehicle costs, you know, it, it, emissions of those vehicles plays a part in the sustainability journey of any particular event as well. Um, so again, from a design point of view, material selection point of view, how creative can you get in terms of minimizing the sizes of things or, or maybe getting them to, to fold down, I suppose, in such a way that you can get the maximum out of a particular vehicle? It's funny that you mentioned this now because this morning we were having a meeting about this. And for example, a lot of our props, we're making some really big props and we're wanting to sustain them by creating boxes to put them in so that they're not just wrapped in bubble wrap and then there's constantly damages that we need to repair. But then you've got these massive boxes that then mean that you need to have big trucks to move <laughs> everything. So this is now the conversation we had this morning that we need to go all the way back to design and make sure that everything that we make that's of a certain size needs to be parts. So you need to be able to join it together. So for example, we've made this massive hand with a a circular DMX light inside. What mm. we need to do with that going forward is all the fingers need to come off and you need to build everything like blocks of Lego because then it's a lot easier to compact them and put them away. Mm. And on that note, what we're doing is, well, that's where technology has still not got to. So for example, electric vans, that would be a solution to help, you know, be a bit more friendly to the environment and what emissions we have. However, vehicles at the moment, when it comes to vans, 
they can't do more than like 200 miles. So that that is a big problem for us at the moment because we're switching our vans, we're getting new vans, but we still need to get petrol and diesel engines because if we need to get from Manchester to Brighton, uh, an electric van's not going to get there. So this is still a bit of a problem, although the world is shifting to electric vehicles, it's still not there for companies that are using vans. And I think this is what we yeah. need to see. We need to see an advance in technology on that because that would help a lot if all companies like us and a lot of delivery companies, that it goes away from design as well. If you think about all the Amazon vans and everything, we need electric vehicles that can do longer longer distances. Uh, plus, in the scenarios that you're working in, if you're working on a festival site that's in a greenfield location, you know, when you get there in order to charge the vehicle, even if you could get to the site, to charge the vehicle, you're then using a generator on site having to source some sort of temporary power, which is still using up and generating emissions. Absolutely. This is where we're still not there. Although the world is moving, mm. there are, everyone, their intentions are there. And I think we're still a little bit at the early, at the cusp of it. You know, it still needs some time before we get to the point that we can fully switch. Mm. With the um, one thing I wanted to ask you today is, is this the advancement in LED screen technology, modular LED screen technology in the last few years. Um, the cost of it, as, as anybody who has rented this and, and spec'd it on a production, will know that the cost and accessibility of modular LED uh, screens has come down significantly. Um, and we see, I see more and more of it at, at smaller events that five, six, seven years ago just couldn't have, have afforded it. Um, is, is, does it play any part at all in, in the work that you do? Uh, I'm just thinking that with with an LED screen and a media server, you can create, you know, a different a different background every time, can't you? Without the need for, for sort of a, a printing or the erection of a particular sort of a, maybe a wooden structure. D does it play any part at all in what in the work that you guys do? Yeah, so basically this, it, going back when we first started Illuminati, when we were doing all the decor side of things, LED screen was the, the one thing that people would put in clubs. Mm. However... As the years went on, I feel the audience was seeing it as a little bit, yes, there is movement in the visual, but it's not that creative as a structure. So yeah. what we started doing is we started building structures that would put the LED screen inside the structure. So you've got the visuals, but you've got that 3D object that surrounds that screen. Because mm -hmm. that was the thing that if you've just got an LED screen with visuals, there's no, there is the creativity in the visuals, but people were seeing it, okay, it's another screen. And it's important to tie that in, but to give it more of a three-dimensional look. And although LED screens can give you that, you do need the props around it. And I think this is why we're seeing a lot of 3D mapping now taking over. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's using visuals on structures and mapping the structures and bringing them to life. So it doesn't just look like a flat panel that's playing some video content. You've actually got a structure that each part of it, it's doing something unique. For example, we built these massive trees for this theme that we did called Shamanic Tales, and we mapped the, the structures. These were four by four meter trees, but you made like the eyes change. It looked, you know, the eyes were moving, the branches were moving, and it, it brought that structure to life. It sounds like the trees in Lord of the Rings. Exactly. <laughs> in the movies, the, the, tree, the, the, the trees that come alive in the, in, in the, in the forest. That's what Absolutely. it sounds like. That's exactly what they look like. Yeah. It, 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 um, it strikes me that this is uh, a, a business and a job role, certainly, that 
has a huge amount of creativity attached to it. Uh, are you finding that you may be sometimes having to to almost rein in the creativity because of the budgets that, that, that clients are working within now? I, I guess that, you know, given an unlimited budget, the ideas would be endless for your team. Absolutely. Like the thing is, when we sit down with the design team, there's just so many ideas there. There's so many things that we'd want to do. And the way technology is advancing as well, there's always more things you can do. Where at the end of the day, it comes down to event promoters, how much budget they have. Mm. And one thing from their side as well is becoming more difficult on finding if you're an event promoter because the costs are spiraling up for them. So they're getting, everything's becoming more expensive, you know, because all suppliers, raw materials are becoming more expensive. So then suppliers are becoming most expensive. And this has a knock-on effect on the event organizers. But in their turn, we're seeing, for example, club events and festivals Although this year we're seeing some increases in prices, if you look at the prices of events and you compare them over the last 10 years, the prices have not increased massively. So, and because there's so many events, people are afraid to increase the prices. So event organizers are faced with a dilemma there that do they increase the price? But if they increase the price, will it put them out of the market? So basically they're taking all the extra costs they have to pay all these extra costs, but they cannot increase their price, which is a big problem for them. And in turn, then that has an effect on us because obviously they're going to try and shrink the budget as much as they can, as much as they can afford. So that is what plays its part in our creativity. Well, this is this is where long-term planning for a promoter or an event organiser comes in because if you want to put your prices up in two years, for example, because you know that we're going to have to put 5% or 10% on tickets for an event in two years' time, then what they need to be doing this year while the prices are the same is delivering the best possible event they can, upping the experience. So when people go there and they know that next year the prices are going up, they have the app, they have an experience that's so good this year that they don't mind paying the increased price the, the next year. It's a it's two, three year planning, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's what people are doing because as I mentioned before, the market, especially in the UK, it's it's getting to that point that it's kind of oversaturated and people are planning ahead. And you're seeing People with a long-term plan are doing exactly that. They're taking it step by step to show their audience what they can deliver because once they deliver this and once they bring these sets and these experience to all their audience, then they know that people will come back. And if every event they do is a different experience, people will come again because if you provide the same event every time, time in and time out, Hmm. people will say, okay, I've been to this event, I've seen it, I'm going to go to something different next time. But because people are investing in that, and this is the people that have got the long-term plan, people are investing in creating all this decor. It will bring more people in the future. Mm. So something that I heard on the radio this morning that, that I thought may may tie in a little bit with our discussion today is um, is actually, it, it was driven by hearing about Beyonce and her latest uh, world tour that she's announced. And, um, uh, you know, uh, by no means am I a huge Beyonce fan, but I know that her latest album is is a concept album based around the nightclub scene in in New York in the seventies. So the Studio Fifty Four, the the famous discos, and um, you know the the sort of the vibe, the visual image of that. And somebody was talking on the radio this morning about how they bought tickets for this sort of VIP circle in front of the stage on her tour that you can get that will effectively offer you. Like they're going to build this sort of disco style club experience right in front of the stage for a select amount of people who are willing to pay the money with the bar and everything. And I, I, it struck me that straight away, this is another example of where the absolute top end of the 
entertainment and events industry does stuff that then filters through all the events that, that are effectively you know but below that in terms of size budget you know scale etc you know what, what's happening at that level of the industry is always driving then what happens on a more day-to-day -day level doesn't it absolutely and, and what you see with that as well is it's a, i'm glad you mentioned that because i didn't hear that but what we're going to see now is when she launches that you're going to see more people wanting this vibe the studio 54 vibe because we saw yeah. it for example this year avatar the film came out and then all of a sudden people are wanting an avatar theme you know yeah, so yeah. what happens at the top of the industry it does trickle down and more and more people are wanting to to get that obviously not to the scale that definitely what beyonce is doing yeah. <laughs> they're not going to yeah. want that but they are going to want that theme and and we do see that and from our side that's what we try to do we try to look at what is coming and how we can adapt existing props that we have because we have so many props that we don't always need to make brand new ones, but we can repurpose them to fit a theme. So like that was the same with Avatar. You know, we, we changed things that we already had to accommodate for people wanting Avatar. And now with Studio 54, we're actually working on a disco theme at the moment. Uh, but now that you said that, I'll make sure we've got some elements in that resemble <laughs> Studio 54. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm yet to see what, what it exactly it's going to look like, but it was it was just somebody on the radio that, that I was listening to this morning. And it was one of the, 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 the studio um, sort of team, you know, the engineer that works on the radio show had bought tickets for this, for the tour and said that, you know, described what the sort of package was that it bought where you get this immersive experience like almost like you're going to a, a club in the 70s and what you're actually walking into is this very very specific vip area that's going to sit in front of the stage it'd be interesting to see when we, when the tour actually starts what, how they deliver it and what they actually put in there yeah and, and it's it's interesting as well that you're saying that it's kind of a vip because the other thing that we're seeing a lot now is uh, the move to smaller events you know there's more and more smaller events coming about and i feel this is also probably the need because in the past we used to have like big club events everyone was going to a big club event and i think with the rise of social media over the years people have become social on social media but then they want to spend more time with their friends more quality time so they're going to smaller events where they can have more interaction and this is also where we see the new the joy economy and competitive socializing we're seeing a lot more people they want to interact with others um, so yeah, it's, um, it's interesting that you said that they've done it as this VIP event. Yeah, well, it's it's the old uh, oldest trick in hospitality, isn't it? If you make something exclusive and only available to a small amount of people, everyone will want to buy it. Absolutely, absolutely. Everyone wants to buy it. Um, I, I'm uh, something I was going to ask about the sourcing of your actual uh, props. Um, is everything? Not necessarily made bespoke, but do, do you do you sort of go off the grid and look at things like sort of secondhand shops, flea markets, vintage shops? You know, are you constantly on the lookout for something that you think, oh, that would make a great prop? We could use that. Absolutely, because we don't always need to. Because sometimes, for us, if we were going to make something brand new from scratch, it's going to take a lot more time, and we're going to need to use resources that probably we wouldn't need. But you can find things, for example, on Facebook Marketplace. There's always things, people selling something that you can just repurpose. And what we do is when we look at a the theme, we look at the theme, we create our mood boards, we create our designs. And with that, we're keeping in mind what do we need to build and what can we source? And you look online and you find things that are easily repurposed. And because we do have all these themes, 
constantly when we're looking on marketplace or potentially good look on free cycle which we haven't done that for a while but that is a very good place um, you find things and you think oh i could make that and that could fit into that theme so this is what we always do we keep all our themes constantly to be upgraded because what you'll find is when you want something, you can't find it. <laughs> when you look on these space and you're wanting something, it's not there. So it's a matter of constantly being on the lookout. And because, again, we have all these themes that we're renting out and we're not creating them to sell them, we've got these themes that are sat there. So at any point when we find an item, we can repurpose it and add it to the stock of that theme. Mm. Uh, one thing I mentioned at the very start of the podcast, um, the relationship with Kendall Calling. Um, and I, I've been aware of Kendall Calling and, in fact, probably rewind nine, ten years um, before the podcast existed. I, I, I interview I would interview event organisers and we would do written articles that would go onto the event industry news website for people to read about how a particular event was delivered and the production that went into it. So, and Kendall Calling was one of those festivals. So they've certainly been on our radar for, for probably a decade now. Um, and from an early, from their early days, their visual identity has been very, very strong. I would say, you know, that they've had a very, very the, the whole sort of road sign uh, branding and, uh, and, you know, it, it's been really, really, really key to them. Um, what, what were their, some of their goals last year when you went in to, to sort of do the work for them? Were, were there some very, very key sort of targets and, and, and um, points that they wanted you to hit? And did that lead ultimately to delivering those and, 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 and why you were then recommissioned for this year? Yeah, so we had worked with Kendall Calling over the years. We always used to do the glow tent. Well, not always, but we've done it a few times in the past where we transformed the glow tent. We did the ceiling, we did the stage, we put like a decor all around the, the, the arena. And what Kendall wanted to do, because in the past they had that and they had various um, photo ops and various installations around the site. But what they wanted to achieve this year was to bring it throughout all the arenas. They wanted a much stronger deco feel, not just like what we did in the past, just in the glow tent. They wanted to bring that to all their arenas. They wanted the whole space to be a lot more um, people go and take pictures everywhere. That's They wanted more of that, let's get people walking on the field like every time they go to a new stage, they're in a different world. So it was quite open last year. There wasn't a set theme. It was like, okay, this is the site. We've already got certain elements, but let's make the whole space, all the arenas, a lot more immersive. So that was our goal because they were they had stopped for two years because of COVID. So coming back, the first step was to up the festival, to bring mm -hmm. that, that immersiveness to all the arenas. So that was the goal for last year. And then this has brought us on to this year, where now it's become, now that we've set that standard that all the arenas are going to be immersive. They're all going to be a different experience. Now it's okay. Now let's work on what our theme is. Let's work to mm -hmm. a theme rather than every arena being different. So now we're going to try and create a bit of a story to it. Excellent. And, and, and when I think about it now and the recycling of materials and the reusing of materials now, it's, it's not just in some of the festival spaces and these sort of outdoor, you know, I don't know, music-based events, but this is filtering across all aspects of the events industry now, you know, in the trade shows particularly have, have got, uh, you know, a big, big issue with sustainability and things like the use of carpet, you know, and, and I'm seeing suppliers that deliver, you know, the old sort of shell scheme style um, stands. A lot of that did get reused, but 
that, that there are new systems coming into play now that I, I worked with last year for the first time that use water-based uh, printing inks on fabric and the fabric can just be washed, I think, and, and effectively washed clear of all that, that water-based ink so that those graphics can effectively be reprinted for clients. So clients are not having to spend on roll-up banners and, you know, sort so, of so disposable graphic elements that they would use historically, Fomex printing and things like that. Um, so when a lot of the examples that we've we've spoken about today and the work that you guys do in in music based events and festivals and things like that it is relevant as well for lots of the other elements of the events industry absolutely yeah yeah every we're seeing that because every bars restaurants everyone is moving into this experiential design and I think as well a vital part was the festival culture in the UK has always been very prominent, has always been very strong. And we're seeing more and more people wanting to bring that into their spaces, events, um, expos, exhibitions. Everyone is bringing this in. So that comes in turn with everyone needs to make it now sustainable. Because the more you're trying to bring creativity, the more you're trying to bring sets into various events, it comes with that next to it, that it needs sustainability. I wonder how much of it is driven as well by consumers' own um, understanding of design uh, improving over the last maybe, I don't know, decade or two decades. You know, when you look at people's homes, you know, the, 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 the amount of, of great stuff that we've got available to us now, you know, as consumers, we've become far more tuned in to this idea of a well-designed space, whether it's our office or our home, you know, and and you know the whole sort of concept of visual identity is something that consumers i think are more acutely aware of now and that's that's got to be a driving factor then to event organizers you know when their actual customers are demanding a higher level of visual sort of presentation absolutely i think consumers drive everything at the end of the day you know everything that happens is driven by the consumer it's like the necessity for experiential events was driven by the consumer now the 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 the, the sustainability and the eco-friendliness that everyone's got is also driven by the consumer. So everything changes based on demand and people are becoming a lot more aware of what is happening in the world. And that's why they're wanting it for whatever they do. They want whoever's providing them with anything to take sustainability into account. Mm, absolutely. We've been talking on the podcast today to our guest, Lefteris Angelidis, the CEO of Visual Architects, the people who transform events into memorable spaces. Um, uh, uh, before we wrap up, um, I think there'll be a lot of people who've listened to this today who may be thinking, well, I'd love to see examples of what they do. You know, we've been talking all about visuals today, but for anybody listening to the podcast, they will want to go straight somewhere, straight onto somewhere where they can see this. Point them in the right direction, please, um, Lefteris, and tell them, you know, where, websites, social media, where can they find you? Absolutely. So, yeah, so anyone that wants to find any information about us, or even if you want to get involved, because we're always looking for new people to join our team, uh, you can go on www.visual-architects.com. So that's our website. You can get in touch with us from there, or you can go on our social media, which is Visual Architects on Instagram and on Facebook. 
fantastic guys head over there straight away because as i said prior to the uh, recording today i hopped on the website and some of their socials just to see uh, for myself try and build up a little sort of mental picture before i hop on the recording of of, of what it is that you guys do and um yeah it's it's fascinating it will instantly prompt ideas and and uh, if you're an organizer and you are at the stage of your planning where you're just maybe starting to think about summer events and thinking how do we do that and what are we going to do hop on there and i'm sure you'll be inspired to uh, to look at some of the work that these guys have done and uh, take some of it into your own events. Um, Leftalist, it's been fantastic talking to you today. Thanks very much for taking the time out on uh, what will no doubt be a busy Monday um, to have a little chat with us. Um, we pointed you in the direction of the Visual Architects website. And of course, for anybody listening to today's podcast, we should point you in the direction of the Event Industry News website. Hop over to eventindustrynews.com, check out the latest news features, special supplements, and of course, the legendary A to Z supplier directory. If you are an event organizer, producer, planner, and you are looking for any element of your event, whether it be hardware, software, support, any type of uh, service, you can find it in the A to Z supplier directory over on eventindustrynews.com, as well as video versions of all of our podcasts. Of course, if you're watching the video version already, thanks very much for tuning in today. Don't forget to head over to wherever you get your podcasts from, and you can also get audio versions of all of them. Going back now, I, I always forget this, but I think it's probably eight eight years since we started the podcast now. Um I must do a little check of how many episodes we're up to. It's it, it's got to be upwards, I think, of, of nearly four or five hundred episodes now. Um, so thanks very much, as always, for your support. If you want to get in touch with us, at Event News Blog is us on Twitter, and you can find us as well on all of the socials. Our thanks once again to the CEO of Visual Architects, Lefteris Angelides, for joining the podcast today. Hope to see you again in the future. Please do come back on and let us know what you're up to. And for now, that's the... Uh, end of today's episode and we'll see you again next week. Goodbye everybody. Mm -hmm.